Take a boy born and raised in New Jersey on Springsteen and a Southern California beach bum raised in the 60s and what do you get? Do what you like with Tom Cavanaugh and Bob Telford. On a recent episode of Do What You Like, we had a guest that was so prolific that we needed to bring him back for a second episode. So please join us as we continue our journey with Anthony Abson on Do What You Like. Theater of Grunt. (laughs) Can you tell us? I I love this. Theater of Grunt, how to get thrown out of Missouri in a hot second and other stories. Yes. What what's what's that all about? You, you please explain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah. That is in in my second book. That I. How, how do you even know that? Is that like a? I you know I just come across these things and when I see it, it's like wait a minute, I got to write this down because this is it. It begs the question: What is this? Uh, I don't leave home without it. By the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we're yeah, yeah. I, I, in fact, there are a couple of quotes from from uh, that I, I came across that I think are just f- phenomenal. But I, I have to know about theater of grunt <laughs> because the title alone is enough. How do you guys know about theater of grunt when it's in my as yet unpublished second book, or do I do do I refer to it somewhere? I mean, yes, I believe it was referred to. I think it might have been on the on your website. Uh, okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> the secret's out. Please remember that this took place, I believe, in the 60s, early 70s. The early 70s were still the 60s. Right. In many ways. And so while we were being the heaviest people in the world in the basement and the cellar on West 21st Street as the Ensemble Theater Laboratory, dun, 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 our stage manager, <laughs> I, I, to this day, I don't completely know how this happened. But she booked us a gig in Missouri. Ah. And we, again, remember, it was the 60s. The participants might have been sporadically high during (laughs) during this. No apologies necessary. I'm familiar with that era. And and there were decisions made, for example, that might not, (laughs) in hindsight, have been the best. But anyhow. They were fun at the time. But so one day uh, we are performing the Tower of Babel dun, 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 in the basement. Oh, it, it was it was we performed on two floors, actually, uh, the basement and the cellar. And it involved uh, the, the story from the Bible. And uh, in fact, is this a Spalding Gray th- uh, piece? Uh... Yes, well, Spalding was in the Tower of yeah. Really? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's great. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, so one day our stage manager comes and tells us we have this, we booked this gig in Missouri. Now, I did not know where Missouri was. <laughs> I really don't know if I'd even heard of it. 
But we thought to ourselves, it must be in the north. And so it's going to be okay for a bunch of long-haired hippies with some people of color. Mm-hmm. It's in the north, therefore we right. were welcomed with open arms. <laughs> and so we rented, I think, one or two cars. We just did it. And we... um we got out to Missouri, and um, the guy who hired us, the d- producer, had us come to his home. But the vibe was extremely weird, mm. uh, very weird. And he asked us to perform segments of it in his living room, uh, and with his wife. His wife was uh, even more bizarre. Uh, she was very blonde, very pretty, and she had a face that didn't move. I think this was before Botox. I think she was just kind of <laughs> on the edge. No, very Midwest. Yep. And so we, um, we, we uh, changed. So I guess in the bathrooms, which meant we got into our costumes, which meant we got into our torn leotards and tights. That was it. There was no costume. And then we went out there. <laughs> and because because I was involved in the search, I felt it was important that we do away with everything that wasn't essential. Uh, that meant even st- standing upright. <laughs> we didn't want to assume standing upright, and we didn't want to assume light. So we would start every rehearsal in pitch black, lying down, <laughs> and then gradually... <laughs> Anyway, so out of and it took months for us to organically because the light. God forbid we should stand up or turn on the lights without a reason. It took, it took us months to finally get to the point where we were actually standing up invisible. By the way, it was during this middle time when it was only the last part of rehearsal when the lights would come up a little bit and the actors would stand up a little bit that um. Net, uh, I think it was CBS or ABC sent a news crew. To- wow. In the dark. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They wanted to see, supposedly there was this like radical shit kind of theater going on. Did an audience show up for that? No, this was, they would just want it. There was a doc. It, it was, like, it was it just was- for the doc. Okay. But, uh, we had organically only gotten to the point where the lights would be barely on <laughs> towards the end. And they said, we can't film it. Wow. And I said, but we can't, we can't. We can't use light yet. We're not there yet. That's amazing. That's great. These are the things, these are the things that, the, you know, I, I always think of it in terms of this business has offer, offers us up these opportunities that are like no other. I mean, you go to work in a nine to five job, same cubicle every day. There's no difference. It's always the same. Whereas we get in, in the business we're in, every every day is a new day, is a different day. Every day is a different day and a new day of rejection and poverty most of the time. But I wanted, I was actually trying to make a point leading back to this. Okay. The, the fruits of those labors was the Tower of Babel. Ah, so from Peter Grunt, you went to Tower of Babel back in New York. I'm sorry? You went Missouri, Peter Grunt, back to Tower of Babel in New York. 
first we we opened the Tower of Babel, which was basically very similar to all the writhing we had done with sounds like on the ground in the dark. <laughs> that basically became the Tower of Babel, but there was still a lot of writhing and moaning. <laughs> <laughs> in totally wow. towards. When we arrived in Missouri, we discovered why there was such a weird vibe. We had been hired as a children's theater. Oh no! As, as a what? A children's theater. Oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> they were expecting like something with funny and cute animals, you know. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! So that was the reason why it was. Um, there was a strange vibe, and that's why they stopped our performance. Halfway through, because men with guns came in. Sure. Really? Yes. Wow. Wow. Yes. Spalding, thank you. Spalding has a piece, May You Rest in Peace. He has a piece called the per A Personal History of the American Theater. Mm -hmm. And what he would do is he would just sit in front of an audience with a, a card catalog and he'd pull out a card. They were all his experiences, like Bob, what you're talking about, of the more colorful things that are inevitable in our line of work. And he'd pick out the title of a, of a piece and then he just reminisce about it. And it was a very successful piece that he did. But one of those cards that he pulled up was The Tower of Babel. Wow. So, you want to hear Spalding's account? <laughs> but at the time, right, isn't this the work that was going on downtown? This is the Living Theater. This is a bunch of theaters downtown that everything's explored in these organic, natural ways. And eventually these all fed into bigger and better theater production somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so makes... so it is. I mean, you can't, you can't, they couldn't grow without Grunt and Tower of Babel. It's just a fact. You needed that. You had to have that. Because I remember watching, in grad school, watching video of the living theater. I'm like, I don't understand any of this and I can't see anything. I will but tell it, you. I, when I was, uh, of course, I went to the performances of Le Living, and even I, there was a moment, you have to understand, the, the Living, I mean, I would like to believe the Tower of Babel <laughs> was special, <laughs> but <clears throat> at least we didn't do certain things. Uh, there was a moment in uh, Paradise Now, I believe that was the piece that I'm, I'm recalling, where the entire company, which might, might have been 20, 25 actors, lay in a heap, mostly naked, like very little clothing on. They just lay in a heap in a pile. Wow. On the stage. And they lay there with nothing else happening for many minutes. Hmm. Um, even I started to feel that was indulgent and boring. And I saw Jerome Robbins in the audience. I'm sure you know who Jerome Robbins yeah, Sure, sure. Yeah. And he and I, he and I were on the same committee. Oh my God, this is such a complicated story. We were on the same committee to try to oh, persuade the State Department not to cancel Grotowski's scheduled tour to America, it, which had been canceled because the Soviets invaded uh, Czechoslovakia, mm -hmm. and so in retaliation we canceled that. So. Wow. They got together a lot of people from different parts of the uh, performing arts scene. And you can imagine how diverse it was. Not me, the, the director of the Tower of Babel, and Jerome Robbins, but there we all were. So we're, we're there in the theater 
just sitting there while this huge bunch of sweating, scantily clad actors just lying on top of one another. So I thought, you know what? Now might be an opportune time to talk to Robbins about something that had just happened that he didn't know about. So I went over to him and I said, excuse me, Mr. Robbins, you know, I'm Anthony Apes, I don't want to do it up. And he, he said to me, quiet. Don't you see they're working? Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, Jerry. <laughs> and I swear to you, many, many, many more minutes went by by while they just lay on top of one another and sweated. They didn't even make sounds. <laughs> sounds would have been. And that's the error. But that's the error. That was that. His, but, that his and, I, and I have to say, growing up, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I was actually when you said 68, I was thinking I was still in high school at the time. But but even I at, at that age was exposed to there was so much experimentation. And I don't mean like with drugs and sex and all that. But I mean, just in a broader stroke. Uh, all mediums, whether it's music or theater or whatever, there was a tremendous amount of experimentation going on, which I think was very healthy, even though, you know, when we look at it now, we kind of go, what the heck were we thinking? It still brought about a lot of change. And I think uh, actually had a, a positive influence on all of those mediums. Of course, of course, you, every artist looks back and says, you know what? That was a supposedly a critical failure, but it led me to understand something that led to a critical right. success. On a very simple level, you can't grow shit without shit. Right. And most of that downtown scene migrated and got got uptown at American Place Theater. And that's when it started to move a little more mainstream, right? I that I'm not I am not sure. not familiar with that whole thing at all. So let, let me ask you this part. When when did you start with Stella? When I came back from D.C., uh, which would have been around 78, 79. Mm -hmm. And for the first and only time in my career, I was close to quitting. Because of Stella or just because no, of the no, environment? No, 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 no. no I got to ask. Seriously, what does that mean? Oh, when I went to Stella, I was close to quitting. And let me make it clear. When I walked for the first time into her studio, I walked in as a guy who'd spent his life doing this and right. was seriously questioning uh, the value and the wisdom of continuing. Did it, did it feed the hungry? Did it heal the sick? And I was starting to feel like there was a greater contribution to be made. And then I walked into Stella's class and. And uh, she cured me uh, very quickly because she was, of course, sitting in her throne chair, right? Uh, done, done for days, and very grandly declaiming, but declaiming things that made me realize, oh shit, there's a way in which acting can feed the hungry. And that's what you got from Stella. Right. I'm sorry. And that came out of watching Stella work or of, of her saying your characters stand for thousands. Your characters stand for cosmic forces in the universe. Now, at the moment, I, I was still in the 60s, I guess, because I was saying, wow. But then I thought about it and I realized, yes, we feed a, a, a spiritual kind of hunger. And um, 
we can heal a spiritual kind of sickness. Yeah. You've yeah. always stayed with that. You've always taught that in some form or another. You've never said it that way, but you've always, and I still live by that. You always had the term acting is the noblest profession of them all. We are sending a message. We are doing important work here. And you also put it into commercial copy. You put it into films that we know. Did you find that an easy transition to bring that into the work? Or is this something you still work with to get that me- to make it? You always you've all, I've always watched you elevate the material. Yes. And it's always been from this spirit. If you elevate the actor, you are automatically elevating the material. And if you elevate that, those two things, you're going to elevate the audience. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's got to, you, you, you can't wait for the other guy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's got to, yeah, that's one thing that I find. Let me ask you. Um, I, I'd like to just finish that thought, if I may. Sure. Yeah, of course. There was, a, um, there was a contribution to be made. And that contribution is not to display ourselves. It is to reveal something greater than ourselves. Right. And I'm sorry, but there, this profession continues to attract displayers of selves. Um, and you know what? It's, it's not really fair to call, call them out on it because the impulse to display yourself is very much akin to the impulse to act, which is precious and rare. Mm-hmm. It just can so easily get into trouble. It can right. easily look into the mirror instead of out the window. Right. Now, in this environment, because I heard uh, Peter Bogdanovich on a podcast where he said, well, they're not writing great films anymore. There's no great scripts anymore yeah, compared was- to what they were, especially in that era. You get these you get these pieces. Are you still finding it easy to elevate or is it still a is it is it a fight to elevate now? As Stella used to say, if it's human, it can be noble. And then she said that she would go on to say, even even a rabbit has moments of nobility. Wow. (laughs) Get that. Yeah, it's funny because I had the opportunity to work with her. She would come out to L.A. for during the summer uh, for a number of years in the 80s. And I had the opportunity to work with her one summer as part of, you know, a large, much larger group. And I got to tell you, you know, everybody in that theater was hanging on every word because she had so much to impart. You know, I was really fascinated by her. And she to say uh, she she was the only American to work privately with Stanislavski for six weeks right. in right. class. She used to say, when I drop a name, it's a big one. <laughs> well, and I think wasn't there a bit of contention between her and Strasburg over the interpretation of Stanislavski? Oh, oh my God, a bit of contention is a yeah. very, very well. I, I was I was trying to keep it clean for the younger audience. But that's real, though. No, no, but is, that that feud is that real? Because my background touches this. You know, it was part three years of their school, the actor studio, and we've always heard about it, but nobody talks about it. Was it real? Was that that? Break off and that split real, and was it that ugly? 1934 was when Stella, a study with Stanislavski, came back and stood up in front of the group theater and said, Strasbourg's doing it wrong. Yeah. I have it 
purse's mouth that he's doing it wrong and that he has changed his mind. And whereas he used to consider affective memory, we talked about this earlier, the cornerstone of his technique, he now considers it the last resort. Lee was very livid, very hurt. And Lee was not the kind of guy to take any kind of criticism at all. He was very defensive. And that you can date their rift from that time when she she outed him. She said, I've come from the horse's mouth and what you are doing is sick. This constant, really? constant re, re, uh, experiencing of painful emotions is bad for the actor. Stella in class used to hiss the word, the S in the word sick. She would say, what he's doing is sick. <laughs> and so, and then when Lee died, and I was in class with her when Lee died, she paused and said, um, she said, a, a, a man in the theater died today. Let's observe a moment. And in less than five seconds, she said, okay, well, let's go let's on. get back to work. <laughs> but, but in another unguarded moment, she said, we should have talked. Yeah. Mm, interesting. But it, did, you feel, did you feel yeah. there was two camps? Did you feel as an actor, there was oh, Strasburg, yeah. you were Stella, and, and, and you crossed the line? Did people resent that? Was it that bad? Well, you know, there to this day, there are places that say, oh, we never start without a sense memory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, never. Sounds like a recipe to me. Exactly. Uh, which never works with human beings. Anyway. Uh, no, no, it's answer, good because, you know. They never talked. They never talked again. They never talked after that. And they never, uh, they, and they were always two separate camps. There's always two separate schools of thought. And, and, uh, Basically, that's done a real disservice to the American actor. Um, yeah. You know, Anthony? No, it was, can I finish my sentence? Yeah, go, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Just Stanislavski said, no recipes, whatever works. Right. And by depriving, by saying, oh, it's only the imagination, you deprive yourself of all sorts of choices you could make that are real. And vice versa, it's only real to deprive yourself of your imagination. And in my book, I talk about the combo platter where you could pass something real through your imagination. So why the fuck is tough enough art form as it is would you cut off half of the menu? Anyway, now I'm done. <laughs> I got to ask you, how do you feel when you see students, former students, go out into the world and achieve the levels of success that... that uh, your students have? What is it for you as a teacher? Describe that. Uh, Disbelief. None of them are good. Uh, (laughs) Astonishing to me. How could they possibly? (laughs) No, uh, it's corny, but uh, I, I always feel great pride. Not, not solely because of their success, but when I do have chance, a chance to watch their work. And once in a while I do, um, I take pride in the fact that the work is good, that the work is not just truthful, it's interesting. And that it, uh, that it maybe could uh, add something to the lives of that audience out there right. or warm their hearts or lift their spirits. Right. With all what you- is it you look for when, when, when somebody walks in? What is it you look for? You look for the spark 
What when I audition, you mean? Yeah. They, they do. They have to do three things. They have to prepare a monologue, a short, memorized monologue, uh, and I work with them on it. And that helps me. To, to, of course, it depends wildly on the kind of material, but most of the time, it gives me the opportunity to see how well they take direction. Uh, are they able to? Are they? Do they get very defensive, or are they able to play? Uh, ball with me. Um, I also ask them uh, specific questions about their mom and dad uh, because I want to see uh, if they are available or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very easy uh, if you ask the right questions and you ask them to picture some things and say some things. Uh, and I never want to know their business, but it's very easy to see if they are uh, available or if they are covered. Gotcha. And if they're covered, that's not my job. Uh, And then the third thing we do is we give them sides from sitcom uh, to see if there is the acting impulse uh, because you can't get, uh, you can't get an implant. You either have the impulse or you don't. Right. And, um, and also to see if they're able to handle comedy. Mm-hmm. So by the time we do those three things, and it takes less than half an hour, we we have a pretty good idea of each other. And I stress each other because I, I refer to it, and it really is a mutual audition. So you still do that in private sessions? Huh? You still do your auditions in private sessions only? Oh, now Zoom, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. have- what do you mean? But when you were doing face-to-face, they would be at the apartment only? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you... and and. And then you decide to move them into class. Or I have to do what I started today doing is write, uh, sorry, but no thanks. Uh, but I, I, I promise you this, and I promise myself this, and I promise them this. I have never turned down an actor without giving them a specific, I believe, well, well-reasoned idea of what to do next. Yeah, that's a good point because I know, you know, uh, one of the things that I find very helpful is is it even in the in this in the face of, of of failure, for example, if I can say maybe you should try this, maybe you should explore this, giving an alternative as opposed to just simply turning away uh, is extremely helpful to that individual moving forward. It's also uh, helpful for your own soul. I mean, they came. They come to me to develop their talent. Um, that's a trust I take seriously. And maybe even if I'm not the guy for the job, I could still fulfill that other part of the job right. and give them a suggestion as to how to further that. Well, see, I do remember there was a friend that asked to come, ordered it, liked it, tried class for a little bit, and then you contacted him and said, you know what, I don't think you're ready for this. You should try this. And years later, years later, I mean, like 10 years later, I ran into him in New York and he said, I got to tell you something. He goes, I hated you and him for that moment. He goes, but now that I studied here and I did what this and I did this, he goes, he was right. And it was a good thing for me. And I don't remember if you remember that guy. I don't want to say his name in public, but he did. Years later, it said he was actually thankful for it because he, he didn't just take his money. He didn't just string him along. 
And he did learn from it and he felt better and stronger and was a working actor because of it. So there it does happen. Um, Bob, you got another question? I see. No, no, no. I was just going to say we're getting to that point where, you know, we can start to wrap things up. So I wanted to, uh, you know, just kind of get Anthony's take on a couple of things. Uh, One, with everything you've done, you ever wished you ever thought about going back to acting? I, I act about once a year. Um, so you're still doing it? Yeah, I, I think if you don't, you confirm the stereotype, uh, them as can't teach. Uh, I Believe it or not, I made, um, I shot a movie. Uh, I think it was a Lifetime movie about two years ago. Uh-huh. I played the, uh, I played, what the hell was I? I played the head of a hospital. <laughs> hey. And uh, I think it was on Lifetime. I, I, I believe it was. I, I think it was two years ago. And then uh, last year or so, I played a psychiatrist in a movie, and that hasn't come out yet. Oh, good for you. Okay. But I, I, I really believe, and I've said this to my students, it's tough what they do. And if I, if I deny myself at least a taste of mm-hmm. how nervous it is to audition or how difficult it is to be on set and still focus and deliver in a way that makes you proud. If I lose touch with that, then I'm losing touch with them. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so you've got, you've got the, the book, uh, you've got the book acting 2.0. Um, and then you'd mentioned that you were, you're working on another book. Yes. So how can anybody who's interested, how can they get the, the, the book that is out and also find out more about you and what, you know, you're doing as far as your teaching in New York? What's, uh, are you heavily involved in social media or is it just a matter of a website or? Oh my God, heavily. Listen, first of all, thank you for plugging the book. Uh, remember the subtitle, Bob, very important. Doing oh, I know. Work. Doing the work that gets work in a high tech world. Tony, finish your thought, because I want to come back to 2.0 while we're on it. Go ahead, finish your thought. First of all, uh, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It is insultingly cheap on Kindle. There you go. Uh, And um, if they want to uh, get a hold of me, go on my website, because there's a a thing that you can click. And anyway, it tells you. The contact page. Yeah, there's a. It tells you how to audition. You fill out a form. You send it in. We set up a time. Got and it. that's www.anthonyabeson. That's one word. www.anthonyabeson.com. Correct. <laughs> you're you're like me, Anthony. It's like yeah, okay, whatever they so say. Let me let, let 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 me ask you about something I I really loved in 2.0. There's a lot I love in 2.0. It does summarize a lot of big concepts it doesn't capture it 100 percent is when you see it live but a lot of it 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 does summarize but there's one chapter where you talk about the need for a national theater the united states is probably one of the only countries that never had a national theater correct yeah got close but no and can you talk about the need why we need this especially this time i think i've changed my mind i, I don't think that really uh, i don't think it I mean, it's the first time I'm thinking about this at this instant, so I might change my mind again. But sitting here in the midst of the two the two pandemics, the uh, the 
the medical one, but also the political and social one. Um, I don't think a national theater would do a, a lot. Um, I think that, um, I mean, of course, if they make a theater and the theater does good work, it will warm the hearts and lift the spirits and add something to the lives of that audience out there. But I don't see a national theater as helping uh, the nation. Mm. Really? In terms of what it needs, what it needs is, it needs a lot. Yeah. Then what, what, I was in the parking lot of the key food supermarket, which is down Foster Hill road from us. And um, there was a, you know, I, I live in a very uh, somewhat uh, Republican era section of Pennsylvania. Like the guy across the street still has his Trump Pence sign up aye, aye, aye. and uh, down the road, there's a guy who took down his Trump Pence sign and now has, it's a very big sign, Trump 2024, take America back. Yeah. So having said that, there's a guy, guy parked his pickup truck in the parking lot of Key Food. And he had written on the rear window of the cab of the truck, the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm. And I saw that one word, indivisible, and it made me sad. I think, I don't know what it's going to take, but we got we to gotta try to return to uh, indivisible. Amen. Tony, what's, Tony, what's our role in this as artists now? What do you see our role in all of this madness as artists? To, to, uh, <clears throat> to humanize, to return to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the stated ninth. 19th century uh, definition of melodrama's goal to soften the heart. I like that. I like that a lot. I don't know about you, Tommy, but I've had an awesome time here. Oh, that's great. It's great. Tony, anything you, you see in the future through the studio, through your students, anything you hope for? That they continue to do work that gets work. Yeah. <laughs> And because I like to believe that and that will um, soften the heart and maybe change the mind. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Shall we Thank just- you so much. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't know how to end it. Right, wait, wait. Any, and just real quick, we got to ask, is there anything else you want to talk about before we sign off? Anything you want to make sure you get in there? I will. You know what? I, I will take that. I, I'm sure as soon as we sign off. You're going to think of it. Yeah, as we all do. But, um, I'm going to read you one small section of a postcard that I got. Please do. From a young lady who was in class. And then she booked a very nice arc on, uh, I think it's Chicago Med. I'm not sure, but she was a guest star. It was a nice multiple episode arc. And she wrote this to me. And I thought this was a very important point for folks that do what we do. She's just finished shooting that arc for Chicago Med, Shy Med. I really look forward to the prospect of returning to your classroom in 2022, right after I get back from my film premiere at Sundance, which we coached on. And why I think that's important is, just like Pablo Casals at 94, who still practiced, and people would say to him, Maestro, 
you're the greatest cellist in the world. Why are you practicing? And he looked at them like they were idiots. And he said, to get better. Right. Many actors who would have been met with this kind of success, heavily recurring on a series, uh, film at Sundance, they'd say, you know what? I'm good to go. Yeah. But I believe the parable of the talents suggests that we have responsibility to grow them. That's great. Thank okay. you. And we'll see you. Thank you for the opportunity. Wow, what a great interview, right, Tommy? Oh, thank you so much. And thank you, Anthony. Thank you. Thank Bob. you, Anthony. But yeah. He Anthony, did thank you job. for coming on and, and doing this. And we really appreciate it. And yeah. it's, it's a great honor. Once again, thank you all for dialing in and listening to Do What You What like. You Like. We'll see you next time. Thank you all for listening. Tommy, Thanks, it's everybody. good to talk Thanks, to you Bob. again. And we will do this once again soon. All right. Um, yep, we're coming back. <laughs>